Get Cody's trade alerts and all of his latest positions on the Trading with Cody app for iPhone and Android and on tradingwithcody.com. Brian Bain from Investor in the Family asked me to join him on his podcast to talk about my new book, Everything You Need to Know About Negative Interest Rates. Here's the interview. Well, hey, Cody, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian, for having me back. That, absolutely. Well, you have definitely earned a return visit. And uh, I, you know, I'm really excited about this conversation because, you know, last time we got to spend time introducing you to our audience and, you know, we had a great time doing that. And, you know, we'll do a quick intro for you as well for those of you who missed the last interview and I'd encourage you to go back and download that. But the main reason I wanted to bring you on on this interview is you just wrote a, um, if you want to call it an article, or really it's an ebook as, as far as I'm a, concerned. A report. Report, yeah. I mean, you could put it in several formats, but a very extensive report on basically everything that you need to know about negative interest rates. And so, but before we get into that, I would love to, do you, do you mind just briefly introducing yourself to our audience so those of you who, who don't know you could get a brief you know, recap. Sure. So, um, I, I've, uh, I'm originally from New Mexico and I started off, uh, serving coffee at a Starbucks when I moved to New York with one way ticket when I graduated college and eventually, uh, became a stockbroker and then a partner at, at a shop inside of Oppenheimer and then launched, uh, eventually my own hedge fund and then eventually closed that hedge fund and, uh, took on, uh, uh became an anchor on Fox business for a c- couple of three years. And uh, these days, you can find me on tradingwithcody.com, where I post all of my trades and my positions, and on Scudify and the Scudify apps. And be sure to check out the headline apps from Scudify. That's headline without an I. And, um, and, and like you said, I, I, I wrote a report recently that talked a lot about uh, it's called everything you need to know about negative interest rates. And if uh, your listeners would like a free copy of it, they can just email us at support at tradingwithcody.com and I'll send them a copy, a, a PDF version of it. I charge 10 bucks for it on Scudify, but uh, since uh, you guys are listening to my friend Brian here, I'm happy to give you a free version, a free copy of it. Well, you're, you're very kind to do that. And it definitely is worth taking a look at, in my opinion. And, and I'll add on to your intro there, too. Like, Cody is someone who's been a uh, influential in my investing career and someone who I've really enjoyed following for years now. And one of the things I enjoy about Cody is not only do I learn a lot from you, but you're just a great guy and you clearly have the best interest of your subscribers and followers in mind. And it, and it shows. And I, one, it's one of the things, many things I appreciate about you and another reason why I was glad to have you on the show. Thanks a lot, Brian. And, you know, I feel like you're very well-intentioned for your listeners and uh, followers, too. And I, like you say, I, I've written articles, actually, for the Financial Times in the past about how uh, I think it was 80 percent. I, I said that 80 percent of Wall Street is selling something. 20 percent mm. is actually doing something for you. And <laughs> we want to be that 20 percent. I mean, it, it, we, we I'm going to make mistakes and. Uh, I'll have losses and bad trades and uh, be wrong about things just like anyone else. But I'm at least giving it my best effort trying to, uh, you know, make money for me and for you and make it a virtuous world out there. 
Yeah, well, it shows and it's appreciated. And so, but back to your negative interest rate report. I'd love, I think we should just get started, obviously, assuming people have not read the report. And let's just maybe even assume people are like negative interest rates. Can you just briefly outline what that even means? Right. So, essentially, your negative interest rates would mean that you're paying someone to hold your money, uh, uh, whether it's a lo you're loaning it to them or whether you're depositing it. In this case, probably what we're really talking about is depositing it in the bank. And so uh, it could be in the form of fees, uh, and you might already have a negative interest rate, frankly, um, where you're paying more in a year than you're getting interest from your account. And uh, you're, you, what it means is that the system's busted is one of the things I talk about in that report, that it's not in someone's self best, own best interest. There is a value to money. You're, you're, someone should be paying you if they're going to access your money. And if it's not happening, and it's already not happening, and 25% of the GDP developed world, uh, Switzerland, the EU, and Japan, among others, are already at negative interest rates. And it, it means the system's busted and, uh, you know, and doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, crash tomorrow or something. But at some point that we need to have a reset because clearly things aren't working when you have negative interest rate environment. But that's what we've got in the, around the world already. And the Federal Reserve here in the United States is starting to talk about it. Right. And so basically a really basic example would be historically the the assumption or mindset has been that if I put a thousand dollars in the bank the bank is gonna pay me some level of positive interest basically like I said because that money is worth something to them and to me and they're paying me to let them keep it right but and they're, now they're going, out, they're, they're going out theoretically and lending it to other people and that's what a banking system is supposed to be doing when it's functioning. right and then the converse that is happening in different parts of the world, as you mentioned, and is being discussed, at least, potentially happening in America, is that if I put money in the bank, they're going to charge me for it. And not necessarily us, but from a, on a Federal Reserve, like, big bank system. But that's, instead of being paid interest for storing money in a bank, you're being charged to store money in the bank. And that's, and, um, and, and yeah. A, yeah, the, let's be clear here, and this might be a little too far down in the weeds to go very far, but... For the first step towards negative interest rates in, in, will be when the Federal Reserve ch starts charging the banks themselves overnight to hold the cash. When the, normally a banks will deposit their extra cash at the Federal Reserve, and the Federal Reserve will pay them some sort of percent. That's what the Fed funds rate is. And you know, it's historically been 15% back in the 80s. Uh, 5% back in the 90s and 0% here in the last 10, five, seven years, eight years. And the, what would the next step would be is that it, instead of going from 0%, but that the bank, the Federal Reserve would actually charge the bank money to keep cash at the Federal Reserve. So theoretically, then the banks will have to go out and do something with that money rather than just leave it in cash at the Federal Reserve. And the problem is, of course, that the banks can go out and speculate with that money and right. uh, put it in the stock market and play currency game, currency trading games and et cetera, et cetera. Well, and, and again, one of the difficult things about this interview is because is that I would love to sit down with you for about six or seven hours and talk about this. Obviously, that's not possible right now, but you know, we'll try to hit on some of the maybe bigger themes and topics or the more important, I should say. One thing, so 
as far as the bigger picture, what's happening here, summarizing. So we've got basically, you know, we had a lot of, um, you had the, the dot-com crisis. We had the housing bubble and crisis. We had the financial crisis in 07 to 09. So you've had all these bubble financial asset bubbles that have crashed. And basically the Fed has continued to intervene to basically save the economy in the midst of those crashes. Is that a fair way of, of saying that? And basically what we're seeing is they've... I, 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 I just ahead. take exception to the word save. They don't save <laughs> anything. They just well, redistribute that, wealth from future generations or from the poor to the wealthy, uh, to yeah, the well, the, the premise, but the premise. Yes, is the premise being... Right. What they've done is they've kept, you know, we've, we, they try to stop recessions from happening. And so it's this endless battle for the last 30 years that every time the economy, quote unquote, turns weak, that the Fed immediately tries to flood it with extra money below market interest rates. And it stimulates overinvestment like you've seen in the commodity sector and the energy sector and the repercussions of which are a bubble initially and then a crash later. And now we're in the crash, for example, with commodities and, uh, and energy, just like we've been in years past with uh, the dot-com, say, in 2002 at the bottom. So it's the, the, the Federal Reserve is probably the biggest tool here. They're, one of their tools is to continually make money cheaper. And we've gotten to the point where they now have cover to do it because Japan and all these other central banks around the world are also trying to devalue their currencies and to keep exports high and to make inflation happen in their economies. And so it's this race to the bottom. And now the Federal Reserve, I think, whether they go to negative interest rates or not, and maybe they'll just create $5 trillion in a quantitative easing program, but they're going to make money easy again. I don't think right. that we're in a tightening cycle, that's for sure. Well, and so you've got this, that, this, my perception of the situation in light of like, you know, what you said and my understanding previously is that there's, there's, there are some wounds in the economy for just to make things really simplified. And the Fed says, hey, look, let's try to, like you said, prevent recession. Let's try to say, quote unquote, save things. Again, they're not saving anything, but that's the perception or that's the stated intention. So they come in with, they keep dropping interest rates. And the idea behind dropping interest rates is it's supposed to make it easier for people and companies, et cetera, to borrow money. So basically they can access money easier, meaning they can get money, they can spend money to stimulate the economy. And, and, and that's right. And we've seen that happen for, as that's what I'm saying, is that these commodity companies went out and borrowed tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, and even over a trillion dollars in totality in the United States alone that they borrowed at below market interest rates that the Federal Reserve was artificially putting out there into the marketplace in order to quote unquote stimulate the economy. And you've got now overinvestment. And so, right. and of course, you also have financial engineering and Apple going out with $160 billion net cash on their balance sheet and borrowing money because they can right. borrow it at near 0%. Right. Well, and, and so they've, they've dropped rates to zero to make that easier. And they've come in with QE1, QE2, QE3, which is basically injecting more money into the system in addition to the 0% interest rates. And all of that has been with the intention supposedly to help the economy heal in the meantime. And then recently in the last year or so, they pulled back QE and they've 
barely raise rates a little bit with the idea that, hey, look, the economy appears to be strong, so they don't need this anymore. But everything around us is saying, well, apparently it isn't stronger, which basically begs the question that all of that quantitative easing, all that time of zero interest rates wasn't effective. Was that, is that accurate? You're absolutely accurate on all of that. And Brian, as you quoted me on Scudify the other day from the report, the policy error that the Federal Reserve made isn't the last zero to 0.25 percent and maybe we're going to raise rates a tiny bit this year commentary and slight tightening phase cycle that we barely budged on here. The, the policy error was in 2008 when they bailed out the banks, when they mm -hmm. took rates to zero percent, when they right. didn't allow capitalism itself to play the cycles out like, it's, like they are supposed to. Goldman Sachs was insolvent. It should have went, the company should have gone bankrupt. The shareholders should have been washed out. Lehman, that actually almost happened to some of these companies. But even at Bear Stearns, you know, the Federal Reserve gave them $3, later $12 per share because they didn't want to, quote unquote, undermine the, the confidence in the system. That was, those were the policy errors. It's bailing mm -hmm. those companies out that were the policy errors, not the modern-day place that we're at. The modern-day place we're at is what, that the Federal Reserve has now completely painted itself into a corner where they right. have to continue this race to the bottom of devaluing your currency and printing ever more dollars, try, it, trying to stimulate um, at least the stock market, right. if not the economy. Well, and that is kind of begs the question of, you know, the idea of insanity. Insanity is basically doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And that's basically what's happening. They've done QE3. But maybe they don't expect different results. Maybe that's, you know, that's what I'm saying is go. that they, yeah. they know very well that by going to negative interest rates and or creating $5 trillion in quantitative easing in the next few months, that they will inflate new asset bubbles, that hmm. there will be some artificial temporary, that hopefully there will be some artificial temporary inflation and uh, of both asset bubbles and prices and the economic um, um, activity and earnings and for corporations and more financial engineering and buybacks. All that stuff is what they're planning. And that's the best case scenario. Right. And but none of that is addressing the underlying economic problems. And that's where the idea of insanity comes in, because if all that 0% interest rates, all of those QEs didn't solve the problems, why would negative interest rates? But to your point, but if the theme has been just kicking the can down the road further and further and further, I guess the assumption is, well, let's keep kicking the can. Well, what's the alternative, Brian? The alternative to continuing down this path of ever freer, easier money is a complete financial reset. And I, I fully expect at some point in my lifetime, we have to have a complete financial system reset. We have to break down the banks. We have to allow these banks to go uh, bankrupt at some point the next time that they're over leveraged and destroy, creating dis destruction, weapons of mass destruction throughout the financial system. And, um, it, you know, it might ha be happening right now with the commodity uh, corporate bond world and mm -hmm. Uh, the implosion that it's undergoing, and are we going to bail out these banks again? The alternative to that is to truly let it crash and to let the system re get washed out. And uh, you know, I, I uh, 
personally believe then you'd have a washout of even the Republican Democrat regime. I think the concept itself of this corporatocracy that we live under of uh, so, such focus on stock market prices and more to the point corporate earnings and uh, the corporate uh, financial engineering that the the regulators, the Federal Reserve, the Republican Democrat regime, policymakers, all of them, the world over, really, uh, governments around the world are focused on uh, inflating these bubbles and, you know, creating prosperity, at least for corporations and global corporations. That has to be washed out at some point. Uh, the, 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 you know, just the, the arc of the universe does curve towards justice and that stuff will have to wash itself out. Um, it, it can be painful and take many decades or we can allow at some point for the system to just play itself out and to wash this, these corrupt cycles out themselves. I had a, a guest in the show not too long ago who made the comment that Paul Volcker, Volcker excuse me, was one of the, one of the few or only um, chair, um, Fed chairpersons in recent history who has actually made um, the, the U.S. economy take its own medicine, basically, in the late 70s, early 80s. And every, every Fed chairperson since then has, you know, as we've discussed, kicked the can down the road and, try, and basically tried to cover problems instead of deal with problems. Would you say that's an accurate statement? Yes, um, roughly. I, I just, I, I hate to give any credit to any buddy affiliated with the Federal <laughs> right. Reserve in any way, shape, or form. But yeah, I mean, Paul Volcker, whom, I, whom I've met and, um, you know, is, is in many ways a brilliant man, um, certainly raised rates. And he was the last Federal Reserve chairman to raise rates to, uh, of any magnitude for any extended right. period of time. So that is true. Uh, and in that sense, yes, he made the economy take some of its own medicine. But I wasn't aware enough of the cycles back then, but I got a hunch he was just being a corporate crony and sure. tool for the banks himself at the time. Sure. Well, and the reason I bring that up is because, I, you know, the late 70s, early 80s are probably the, the last time, uh, that's not very accurate either, but that, that was a really years of deep struggle um, in our nation, and there's, there's lots of things that came along with that. Um, financially, we talk about the um, uh, oil embargoes, and we can get into all those details. The point being, that was a difficult time for our nation economically. And instead of in appearances bailing out like we see now, it was more, hey, let's deal with this. Again, that's perception. Um, so I wonder if, like, I mean, will we have to go through something like that again in the future to say, hey, let's take our own medicine, but everything that's happening is pointing in the complete opposite direction. And so then you mentioned the idea of a, some kind of a reset. Yeah, well, um, and, uh, and, and that includes, I think, you know, ending the Federal Reserve and the central bank itself. I mean, that's a very socialist concept, if not fascist concept, to marry a government uh, to a privately held uh, organization, as the Federal Reserve is, by its 12-member banks. Now, they'll claim that it's not normal, quote-unquote, ownership. I don't even know what that means. On their own website, <laughs> thefederalreserve.gov, it, it tries to explain that they are owned by the member banks, but it's not really a profit-driven thing, but dividends are set at 6% per year every year. Boy, mm -hmm. I know a lot of people these days that would love 6% per year every year, guaranteed <laughs> I'm, I'm by I'm raising law, my hand. Which is yeah. what the member banks get for being part of the owners of the Federal Reserve. I, 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 look, I, I, the, the 
Federal Reserve, as long as it's running our currency system, our monetary system, um, the, whatever they do will always be in the bank's best interest. Right. Whether that's in the economy's best interest and uh, whether that lines itself up a little bit or a lot is always up to debate. But what the Federal Reserve will do what the banks that own it tell it to do. Yeah, I'm not, I always try to be careful of any kind of conspiracy theory type stuff at all. But when you really dig deep into the Fed. Well, it's, and not, it's no bank, conspiracy. It, I mean, right. go to their own website, federalreserve.gov and the, FA, the FAQ, the Frequently Asked Questions section, it outlines, is the Federal Reserve private? And it so it's sort of, I mean, it's ridiculous. So it's, right. it's it is well, what it is. And it's also not a conspiracy that the Federal Reserve in it, in instituted trillions of dollars of bailouts and welfare programs and subsidies for the too big to fail banks that own it in 2008. Right. And yeah, well, that's and I, real. And I, it's very yeah, real. I, I wasn't pointing anything you were saying as far as being conspiracy. I was just in terms of when you really dig in the nuts and bolts of the Federal Reserve and the member banks and all, how all that works, conspiracy may have been a bad word, but you dig into it and you, and you realize how um, I guess it's, it's kind of like... How conflicted, maybe. Con how conflicted yeah, their conflicted interests are. And that's, in that well, has to be recognized. It's very instrumental to always right. remember that the Federal Reserve has conflicted um, uh, interests throughout. Well, well they, can't, they can't lose. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's set up so the Fed and, and, the, and the major banks, the, the too big to fail banks, can't lose. I guess Apparently, that's the Apparently, because they, if yeah. they were ever going to lose, it would have been 2008. Sure. And that's what sure. I mean. So at some point... You know, we're, we're destined to further and further um, central planning of this government and of our economy um, or and, and, and therefore stagnant economic prosperity or we allow capitalism to reign and freedom to reign and uh, currency freedom to reign. And we don't uh, you eventually have to just accept one of two fates, either slow economic socialist environment or fast growth, innovative technology, global prosperity in a capitalist world. Right. Well, and that's, and that's helpful because I, I want to transition now because again, we could talk hours and I would love it about the history and the dynamics of what's happening. But um, in the time we have left, I'd like to transition and think about, okay, to our everyday investors listening right now, they're hearing all this and obviously you think, okay, so what does this mean? What do I do now and what can I expect or potentially expect moving forward? So, um, and you talk about a lot of that in this article, or excuse me, in this report as well. And um, I, one thing I would love to start with, and then we can talk about other asset classes stuff as well, is, is gold and silver and other precious metals. Because you mentioned here that, you know, conventional wisdom would be that, and has been for years, that in this kind of a climate, where your um, currency war going on, if you want to use that phrase, the race to debase, the race to the bottom in terms of currencies getting debasing themselves through inflation and stuff, trying to get inflation. All of that, you think, well, gold, silver, store of value has to be a great investment in this kind of environment. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So conventional wisdom is basically right long run on that, that you can't print money globally and not expect that we're going to have lower gold prices in the future. Um, I do, again, I think at some point in my lifetime, in the next 10 to 30 years even, that 
gold and silver have a complete price reset versus the dollar and other fiat currencies. And I think gold will be trading the equivalent of, say, five to $10,000 per ounce at some point in the next 10 to 30 years. Near term, it's a lot harder to gain. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the fact that the, the one thing that you miss so much when you just sort of look at the concept of the world's printing currency, printing lots of currencies and the dollar itself is being printed is that the dollar is the reserve currency of the world. And so it, in some sense, ends up competing against gold as a safe haven. Mm. And those conflicting trends short term can wreak havoc on gold trading. But yeah, long term, I think anybody should have a little bit of gold in their portfolio. And I recommend having gold coins and silver coins and bullion and um, having direct access to it personally. Um, Because if you're going to hedge yourself against economic Armageddon with gold, you're you're not going to be able to access that uh, the value of that gold if you own say the GLD or some other ETF or some other financial instrument that we've seen what happens when the banks do cry, you know collapse in 2008. All of those mortgage securities back then based on mortgages, those securities based on mortgages couldn't even trade. And um, so I stick, yeah, I think gold and silver are important. I think you should own them, but I I wouldn't just sit here and say, hey, buy, buy, buy gold. Right, right. Well, and, and that's another big lesson in all this too is the relative value of all things. Because, you know, right now we're used to valuing everything based on the dollar, being here in the U.S., and that makes sense because that is the currency that we use. But you mentioned the idea of, gold and silver resetting against the dollar. Um, And so, but when you look around as far as overall value, you know, you've got all kinds of asset classes and you can value gold in different kinds of asset classes and stocks and different kinds of asset classes. And I mean, it doesn't, it's not convenient to do so, but it helps remind me at least the fact that all value from a monetary perspective is relative. Absolutely. And whether you're talking Iraqi dinars or U.S. dollars, it is instructive to remember that it is a fiat currency and that gold and silver, um, at least if you own the physical kind, are not fiat. They're real. And so basically, with that in mind, the goal as an investor is to try to figure out what kind of assets truly have value. And again, we could debate a long time about... And also, you know, reasonably how you can invest in them. I mean, that's one of the problems is, the again, the Federal Reserve knows that here in the United States that we're not going to be pulling our money out of banks even if they went to negative interest rates. If you're getting charged 0.5%, you have a half a million dollars in cash in your checking account... You know what are you going to do? Go bury that in your backyard? It's it's. <laughs> right. the, the, you can bury it in my yard dollars. if anyone wants to. We're, yeah. we're, at least for the foreseeable future, I think Bitcoin's a great concept, and I hope and pray that we get competing currencies, virtual and otherwise, in the future to the U.S. dollar that uh, are uh, mainstream and um, you know can actually compete against the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency, but. In the meantime, it just is what it is, and the Federal Reserve 
uh, can play all kinds of extra games that no other central bank on the planet can play because of that reserve dollar, reserve currency status for the dollar. I know the next question probably is going to be about stock markets and how the negative interest rates in this environment of another easing cycle is going to impact stock markets, I would assume. You know, I, I, let's go there. I do have one other question as well, but let's go there now because I think I know our audience would love to hear what you think about that. So it's the old saw on Wall Street is that the, you never fight the Fed. And the, unfortunately, the old saw on Wall Street has been proven wrong over the last 30 years, certainly, because Federal Reserve, every time they've been in a tightening cycle, stock markets have been through the roof. Uh, for example, from 96 to 99, you had the stock market bubbling and the NASDAQ.com bubble happening, and the Federal Reserve was in a tightening phase. From 2000 to 2002, the Federal Reserve was easing and stocks crashed. By 2003, 2004, the Fed was back in a tightening phase to 2007 or so, and guess what? You had major stock markets rally. Finally, from 2008 to 2009, 2010, you had the Federal Reserve cutting rates and another easing cycle and creating quantitative easing. Trillion dollar program, QE1 was the first one, and the markets crashed, and from 2009 to 2010 or so through 2015, the Fed, I think you could argue, was actually in a tightening cycle because they were decreasing the size of their quantitative easing, eventually basically cutting it, and eventually raising rates from zero to 0 0.25% over, over those four or five years. So, and what did markets do? They rallied big. So. Frankly, I'm bearish while I know that the Fed is likely to go back into an easing cycle, and you probably want to stay bearish with the stock market in general if the, you know, if the markets really are going to follow a Federal Reserve cycle, which is always up to debate whether it's correlated or just right. coincidental. But right. you want to be bearish until the Fed finishes cutting. And so maybe a year or two from now when we get done with the QE programs and, and or negative interest rates and things start looking, at least the stock market's looking more bubblicious and the Federal Reserve has succeeded in starting to create some asset bubbles, then you'll want to be long and, um, you know, maybe a little bit before that, really, if you want to try to time it perfectly, um, right before the Fed finishes easing, you'll want to really be long stocks. Uh, hopefully, if um, then the Fed does, again, the best case scenario is that the Fed creates asset bubbles, which is a terrible scenario. Right. Because Unless you're on the right side eventually. of it. But yeah. that's the best case scenario. Thanks, Federal Reserve. Thanks, Republican right. Democrat regime and central planning. Right. Well, one, one follow-up question on that. But would the, and I know you, you weren't trying to line up a perfect correlation by any means, but the fact when QE3 ended and then you know, the rate hike recently, the market's fairly been flat or down. Would that throw off that correlation at all? Or is no, that, well, am I understanding I, that wrong? I would wrong? say that it's, you know, it's, again, it's almost like the market did exactly what it was supposed to do. It peaked right before the Fed is going to go back into an easing cycle. So the market peaks at some, you know, in 2015, mid-year, in ju uh -huh. June, really, July, the stock market peaked. And sure enough, the market was looking ahead six months and saying the Federal Reserve is not going to be tightening. It's going to be an easing cycle. So you had a little six-month uh, 
you know, overlap that the timing again isn't perfect. Sure. And I would expect that's the same way it'll happen when the Fed, when the markets bottom, if the if this same cycle plays out in the next year or two, that it'll it'll the market will bottom six months before the Fed finishes easing. Hmm. Good word. Well, I, I'm not sure how much time you have left. So this may be opening up an entire can of worms in a short period of time. And if so, we can skim it or summarize or skip it, depending. But I'm, it's just in the back of my mind, I've been thinking of what you said earlier in the interview about at some point, you think in your lifetime, you probably see some kind of a financial system reset in America. And I'm really curious if when you say that, you there are certain things in mind about how that might would look like, or if it's really just no way to really be able to tell what that means. I think that's a, I mean, it's such a huge question and you you could write a a series of (laughs) encyclopedic books on it, but, um, and you'd still be wrong and wouldn't cover all the topics. But look, I think the, the dominant themes that are being, that are being carried to extremes in this day and age include um, financial engineering, um, tax evasion and gamesmanship by global corporations, and um, central planning and control of the economy and including healthcare and um, the banking system itself. And I think, again, you're either, we either marry the, this reality of slow growth and um, ga- uh, in, in, income and uh, income gap um, and wealth gap that we face in this country, or at some point, we do step up and, and you break up the, the too big to fail banks. The, the Department of Justice starts enforcing antitrust laws instead of allowing all of our food suppliers and beer suppliers and industrial suppliers to consolidate. And you, know, you, you, you either accept that this is how it is or we have to have that reset. And right. the, the reset includes a complete change of how the corporate world is taxed, how uh, all of us are taxed. And I think essentially the Republican Democrat regime, the two party concept itself probably ends at that point And you end up with a lot more broader uh, political party platforms um, that aren't just dominated by these giant corporations that fund them and the super PACs that beg for protections and subsidies and all the stuff that they end up doing by supporting these candidates in this paradigm. Right. Well, I mean, and I think anytime you have a system that's been going for a certain period of time, and well, I was talking to someone recently actually about different kinds of government structures, which we won't get into here, but the, the, my point I was making was that you can go back throughout all of recorded history and you can find a lot of really great theories and philosophies about how government should operate. And a lot of them on paper sound fantastic. I mean, if, even very different kinds of philosophies. The problem every time has been that people are involved. Well, and when and people the, are, you know, it always gets corrupted. There's exactly the, the the system corrupts itself if you allow it, and that's what the beauty of the uh, of the Constitution in this country was, and hopefully again will be someday. And uh, I don't think seventy seven thousand pages of tax code are very um, prosper are ever going to induce prosperity. I don't think 
uh, interest rates below natural levels is ever going to create anything but redistribution of wealth. Right. Well, Cody, this has been fantastic. And again, I would love to have this conversation over an entire weekend or something. Well, but thank you so much. Go ahead. Thank you. And I just want to remember, re- reiterate, hey, if you're listening, send an email to support at tradingwithcody.com and we will uh, get you a PDF of this 24-page report called Everything You Need to Know About Negative Interest Rates. And um, keep listening to Brian and also f- uh, find Brian on Scudify, uh, where uh, you can find a whole lot of uh, all-stars and traders and smart people discussing these very concepts. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And Cody, thanks again so much for your time. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Good to talk. Yeah. Okay, that was great. Diddy did it, what he doing to his artists and about the way he living Take a hit, make a hit, keep a tunnel vision Sign a deal with the fans, go to music prison Who we'll believe you a prophet when you enjoy the music Sells advertisements and profits Whoa, new boo, ho, get a clue Yo, do I blew your mind from Q, you to Soho Cody Willow, New Mexico, Lobo, Muddy Souls Get around like hobos, yeah, we be tearing it up And you gon' get it, how you giving it up? See, I thought I was rich till I got rich and found out how rich rich can get. 